2: What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Wednesday, October the 23rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we have two missions. First, we'll bring you the all 22 notes from the performance on Sunday in Buffalo. I was very pleased with what we saw on tape, and then we'll turn the page to Pittsburgh. It's crossover Wednesday here on the Locked On Podcast Network with Locked On Steel. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter. Follow the show at Locked On We'll follow you back and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the latest on news, analysis, and everything covering this Miami Dolphins football team. Off the top on the show today, we have to start with the rumor of Kenyon Drake possibly being on the move. Now, I thought the trade deadline was Tuesday, but I was wrong. It's next Tuesday rumored to be interest from the Lions who just put Carry on Johnson on injured reserve. This comes in from Ian Rappaport a Lions reporter and Benjamin Albright have all reported this and I've heard the same as well from my people so it sounds like you might get one more game of Kenyon Drake but I wouldn't expect anything beyond that. I expect him to be on the move soon either this week or next never really fulfilled his potential in Miami. Too many warts right now in pass protection. He has too many mistakes that occur time and time again. Fumble drop passes just not finding the right lane as a running back and now with Mark Walton's emergence he kind of becomes expendable and he was never going to get a contract I don't think from this team next offseason so why not go pick up a draft pick for him he's just not what this staff wants But there are some guys on this team that the staff will want next year. And with that, let's go ahead and get into this all-22 report from Sunday's game in Buffalo. Finally, a tape that we can actually learn things from because the Dolphins applied their scheme and won several downs in this game, despite the fact that they have plenty of street-free agents and undrafted rookies all over this team. And for the first time, I feel like, in forever... This offense is analytics-driven, and that's where I start today. There's a play in the video thread. I think I had 21 offensive plays and 10 defensive plays in my video threads up on Twitter, at Winkfield NFL, and one of the plays is an innocuous little checkdown to Mike Kosicki but it's on second down and 20. And rather than handing the ball off and running into a wall on a draw play or trying a screen that get you two or three yards and put you in third and 18, you know what they do? They spread it out. They allow the Bills to play soft coverage by dropping seven and rushing four. You push that zone back with a pair of vertical routes and then you run two routes underneath that zone and you dump it off. Gesicki catches the ball at 5 yards, which is already a decent gain for the play, but then he runs for 6 more, and now you've got a chance to convert a 3rd and 9, which they do. And they're setting plays up for later looks in the game, as well as using tendency breakers. They ran this play later in the game with Gasicki, where he occupies a double team to the flag, which is another word for a corner route, but they use it this time to Durham Smythe into the boundary, which as you know, is the short side of the field. And the concept is a seven flat. A seven is a corner route, a flat route. You know what that means. They run to the flat and it's trying to put the middle defender, the intermediate defender in some peril. Do I go back? Do I go forward? And the quarterback makes it throw based upon that read. Well, they set it up earlier in the game by using that look with Durham Smythe, who doesn't really run that many routes. And so the Bills were not aware of it and not ready for it. And it was open. It was there, but we just missed it with a little bit of an inaccurate pass from Ryan Fitzpatrick. The other cool design in the passing game is how they create space for dig routes in this offense. A dig route, 10, 12, 15 yards. You push upfield, you cut inside an in-breaking route. They love these in-breaking routes to Williams and Parker, and why wouldn't you? They are both good at pressing the toes of the defensive back, getting on top of the DB, and then shielding them while making tough catches, and yes, Parker has been way more physical this season at the top of routes. For Williams, his ability to get vertical has been more of the reason for him uncovering on these routes. He's putting fears into defensive backs' minds with the takeoff speed that he has, and we saw him nail it with an absolutely dirty release on Levi Wallace where he shook to the outside, cross inside, and stacked him for that 35-yard play. But back to the digs, they use all kinds of creative motion to create space in the linebackers with those dig routes. Most notably, jet motion and play action. They're going to run a receiver across the formation that causes hesitation from the linebacker the play action causes more hesitation and that clears up those tight windows over the middle of the field in the passing game And they do similar stuff in the running game. And that's where Mark Walton really shined in this game. He had the patience and understanding of his blocking scheme to allow some of those more slow-developing pulling type of blocks to develop. And he sets it up with great patience and a good job pressing the hole. He helped make his offensive line look pretty good on a couple of occasions where otherwise, I don't know if they would have. Another way the Dolphins create space in the running game is by varying their splits based upon the down and distance. There's a video in my thread where they condense everything. Splits are the the gaps between the offensive linemen, and they tighten everything up on a third down and short, and that helps prevent penetration from an overloaded box from the defense. It's fun to watch, and they convert on these third and shorts, even though the Bills know exactly what they're doing, and they still get conversions on it. Some individual notes on this game. Michael Dieter, I think, is really coming along in the running game. He's doing some great work on combination blocks where he chips and climbs, catch the first guy, climb to the second guy. But his feet and pass protection are still a work in progress, and he's still lunging too much. Better in the run game. Hopefully he improves in the passing game. Evan Bame, I can't say enough about this guy. He is smart. He passes off twists and stunts and games. He was riding Jordan Phillips out of there all game long. He did get beat once by him, but that's okay to get beat once out of 50-something plays. He was standing him up in pass protection and making him stop his rush and work another way around. That's a deflating type of rep from Evan Bame. He did it multiple times on Jordan Phillips. He also finishes his block. Loves to put guys in the dirt. Just an attitude player. As it stands right now, I think both of these guys are starting Starters on next year's offensive line so maybe you think about two tackles and a right guard Brandon Scherf and Tristan Wirfs that rhymes perhaps maybe Lucas Nyong of TCU maybe Makai Beckton, the left tackle from Louisville maybe Washington will trade us Trent Williams just thinking out loud here to round out that offensive line Other players, I thought Jesse Davis had a great game pushing in the running game and denting that edge of the Buffalo Bills defense. Shaq Calhoun had a nice day. He gets pushed in the run game as well. I think Jamarcus Webb is the real weak spot on the offensive line. Mike Gesicki getting better through contact and not getting rerouted. Also a fantastic contested catcher of the football. Ryan Fitzpatrick missed a couple of reads, including a touchdown on one of the early drives. There's a video in the thread. Check that out. But man, he did play well on time. Very detailed professional performance from him. And he laid some beauties in there. So some nice concepts, analytics driven, running on short yardage. I talked about this on Monday night. The Patriots got the ball inside the five on five consecutive plays. They ran the ball five times in a row against the Jets. That's the idea. That's a core principle. Easier to convert short yardage on the ground. They understand their own tendencies and calls. Play- they call plays against that. They attack the defense's weaknesses. This game was the selling point for me for this offensive staff. Man, I am pumped to get a young, impressive quarterback and to get more parts for that quarterback to throw to because I think Chad O'Shea is the right guy for this job. And you know who is right for you for getting back in shape? Peloton. Can't find a workout that keeps you engaged? Peloton is an immersive cardio experience with real time features that will always keep you coming back. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to onepeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED to get started. And you guys know this transition by now. I'm talking about you working out, getting back in shape, getting yourself some stamina for when it comes to the bedroom. But if you need some extra help when it comes to the bedroom, check out Blue Chew. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue, Blue BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, post-workout, after lunch, before you eat, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever your number is called. BlueChew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit. No waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, guys, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E, chew.com, promo code MLB to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper Faster Choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. It is hip-hop week here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast because, you know, when you complain about something that's not that big of a deal, I'm just going to go ahead and push it even harder. Plus, it's Steelers week. It's crossover Wednesday. Why not play a little black and yellow for the boys out there in Pittsburgh? But before we get to those guys, let's jump right back into the All-22 defensive review from the game Sunday in Buffalo. And we're not as busy on this side of the ball because, frankly, there were a lot more losses on defense than there were on offense for the first time all year. The Dolphins did do well to call well-timed blitzes, and they really played their best ball in the red zone, at least until late in this game. So you know how Monday night, all anybody could talk about, besides crapping on Gaze and Darnold, which was awesome, was the Pats and their zero blitzes. Miami got off the field twice on Sunday with zero blitzes on third down. That means cover zero, no safety help, six-man pressure. They brought six men on both of those plays, blitzes all over the place, six guys to occupy all gaps, two C's, two B's, and two B's. And two A-gaps, that equals six. And they did it against five-man protections, which means you're going to have a free rusher come free on those. The first one just confused Josh Allen and his protection call as Jerome Baker came free immediately and he had to throw the football away. He didn't have a hot on that play, a hot route. It got to go too quickly. So that means that Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, He won the down. That's it. Sometimes a play call can win the down for you. And the next one was an outstanding job by Vince Beagle to split a double team on the Bills offensive line. Plus each of the Dolphins corners on this play. And I can't emphasize this enough. They rerouted. I used all caps when explaining that in my video thread because I was so excited about it because we just have never seen this Dolphins defense do it since Nick Saban was here. So I love seeing it. And that extra half second that it bought allowed Vince Beagle to get that counter move and win with that double team split and get the sack. There was another third down stop where Miami was in two man. That's too deep man coverage underneath and they press and they use trail technique, which funnels the routes right into the help. And that's why the Patriots stopped Ryan Tannehill every time he came to Foxborough because he couldn't process that coverage and find those gaps and anticipate the passing game that way and it's why the Patriots always destroyed Miami in those games too deep trail technique quarterbacks that aren't wired that way can't beat that defense and that's why Josh Allen couldn't beat it all the time It's a very effective defense on passing downs like third and long, for instance. They also ran some 3-3-5 bear in this game, finally. I don't have any notes on it, but we saw it in the camp in preseason and all the time with the Packers this year and last year where Patrick Graham came from, and the reason they can do it now is because of Vince Beagle off that edge, so it gives them more flexibility. They still got to find more bodies to get this defense really the right way they want to do it, and most of that is just finding the right talent to fit the scheme. They're not quite there yet, but they're finding ways to get success out of a lot of guys that came off the scrap heap let's go ahead and talk about some individuals Nick Needham showed more great feet and natural feel for the position I like his prospects going forward Devon Godshaw power slips off blocks in this game several times Vince Beagle showing you his versatility his high motor and a good counter move as a pass rusher John Jenkins was dominant, Danny Shelton-like in this game. He's very tough to move off the ball. Jerome Baker, is he more of a sub-package linebacker than every down guy? Because he tends to get caught in the wash a heck of a lot against the run. Bobby McCain, I think he's a smart player, and he looks more comfortable as time goes on. I showed you the video on the Twitter thread where he occupies two passing lanes. Go check that out. Eric Rowe had his best game although I don't talk about guys that I don't believe will be here next year all that much he had great ball skills in this game and it's worth noting here on the podcast Jamal Wiltz I still think there's something there with this guy the play where he recovered to prevent a touchdown on a wheel route was very impressive go check that out he has the speed and the feistiness and the tackling ability rough games I thought Ryan Lewis the new guy of course he struggled Charles Harris wow he's lost a tough game for him I thought Taco Charlton played pretty poorly in this game and Trent Harris Harris was also a struggle in this game. He was bad in pass coverage a couple of times, and so was Raquan McMillan, who missed a couple of tackles, wasn't his best against the run, and he struggled in coverage again as well. So those are the notes. Go check out the video threads. Let's go ahead and make a hard transition here and get to my guest today, the host, two of them, of Locked On Steelers here on Crossover Wednesday, Tony and Chris. And joining me now are the venerable hosts of the Locked On Steelers podcast. And boys, we've got ourselves a primetime game to talk about here. And I want to just go ahead and start with the feeling around Pittsburgh because it's a traditionally dominant, consistent playoff team. And this year has been different mostly how it pertains to the way they've approached this season and the future after Big Ben went down. You spend what could feasibly be a top 10 pick on Minka Fitzpatrick. How do fans feel about trading away that premium pick? And what have the early returns been so far on Minka Fitzpatrick in Pittsburgh?
0: Yeah, I think I think early on in the process, uh, I mean, look, that, that happened in the same day, right? You talk about the, the fact that Ben went down and then the Minka trade happened. That was announced in the same day, right? Ben was announced to be out for the year, and then like six hours later, it was announced on Twitter that that the Steelers were trading for Minka Fitzpatrick. So the Steelers and their fans went through you know the the full range of emotions on that day. Um, I think a lot of people at first thought, boy, you know, this season felt like it was over when Ben went down. So you're trading away like you talked about what could be a top five or top 10 pick away for this guy, Minka. But, you know, very shortly thereafter, Even in the days following, everyone started to realize, no, 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 this is exactly the kind of player that the Steelers have wanted for so long, a a playmaker in the secondary. And there's been, you know, it's been so long since the Steelers have had that kind of player. You'd have to go all the way back to Troy Polamalu. So um, I think, I think there's a lot of excitement and there should be because Minka has been such a good player. Now, you know, we talk about how does this Steeler team end up, and you talked about it could be a top-five, top-ten pick. Um, I, for me, I, I just go back to this, right? If the, if even, if, even if it was a top-five or top-ten pick, I don't see the Steelers taking a quarterback, you know, as much as uh, Mason Rudolph hasn't looked like the guy just yet. The Steelers still do expect to get Ben Roethlisberger back. Um, and and so if Ben's going to play, I don't think they take a quarterback. I think they were likely to go defense again. In fact, I think they were likely to go safety. And so do I want to take a chance at a good player in the draft, whether you know that, that's Grant Delpit or whoever it would end up being, or do I want what was much more of a sure thing from Minka Fitzpatrick? I really like what they did with Minka. It was aggressive, but it's certainly paying off when you look at how good the defense has been.
2: Yeah, I think that really kind of uh, pre like is a good prelude to a question I have for you guys later on about the Steelers' defensive scheme over the years. And maybe you were just missing a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick, who I will still tell you is a hell of a football player. Dolphins fans turned on him. I'm not going to do that. He's a good player. But the pick for us right now is more important. So I think maybe both sides win this time. But I want to ask you guys now about the offensive side of the ball. Let's go ahead and go to Chris here. Can you tell us the difference in the offensive line performance? Because maybe I'm wrong here, but from where I sit, it's been worse. Is it really just Mike Munchak's departure, or is it more than that?
1: Well, see, I think the the whole Mike Munchak departure thing was a bit overstated. The Steelers' offensive line, yes, has not been the same kind of team that's been um, that 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 dominates the offensive line, but part of that's also been, you know, they're they're asking a lot more of Matt Filer, who replaced Marcus Gilbert last year in, in, at at, off- at right tackle, and is now the permanent starter there until they figure something else out for the future. He is, you know, he's a- adequate, but not dominating the way Marcus Gilbert was when he was healthy. Alejandro Villanueva is up and down. Ramon Foster has regressed, but David DiCasio and Marquise Pouncey are still too very good to, I'd say even elite players at their position and Villanueva does fill in and do his job well enough. I think the biggest thing that's really hindered the Steelers offensive line has been the fact that teams have been daring the Steelers to throw the ball deep or over the middle and they just haven't, they haven't done it enough. So like you know, and for for several games this season, you saw the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Niners. Uh, they they were they were packing the box and just attacking the line of scrimmage relentlessly, taking away gaps that the offensive line could open in, in, in tradition in traditional thought. But you know the offensive line, they're not going to do those do, do those things as much. Um, you know as as well as much. But this is my this is my thing about why I don't think Mike Munchak is. You know, he, he was a he was a big loss, but it's not as big as people want to make it out to be. The offensive line is it's still the best pass protecting unit in the in the NFL. They've given up five sacks through six games. That's the first in the that's ranked first in the NFL, um, and the next close to seven with the Colts. Um, so uh, they, they're still protecting the, uh, the quarterback really well, and uh, a, a lot of that has to do with they're still communicating. Sean Serrett has done a very good job of the offensive line. And a lot of the, the line players, they were like, "Hey, you know, th- this guy, this guy is pretty good too. We should keep an eye on him." What will not happen? What will probably won't happen for the future is that they will be able to get all these random undrafted guys to just become starters and then go on to become, you know, get huge contracts like Chris Hubbard for the Browns or Kelvin Beachum to the Jaguars, like have happened over the years when Munchak was there. But um, for the most part, the offensive line—they're still talented. But they need the the quarterback position in Mason Rudolph to hit passes over the middle and to stop linebackers and safeties from flooding the line of scrimmage so recklessly so that they can run the ball more successfully without... People crowd their gaps.
2: Well, that makes for a very interesting matchup on Monday night because the Dolphins are not getting any pressure on quarterbacks right now. When they do, it's because they overcommit blitzers to the rush. So interesting matchup on that side. And I'm still bitter, guys, a decade later that we got the wrong pouncy, quite frankly. So good for you guys for hanging on to him for 10 years. But we're going to come back and get to more here with Chris and Tony on Crossover Wednesday. But first... Do you think the Dolphins' recent improvement can make you some money? Or how about betting on another more trustworthy team? All I know is that if you're going to bet this year, do the smart thing and check out my bookie. My bookie is the premier place to bet on all your favorite pro and college football action every single weekend. They always have the most up-to-date lines and the most prop bets of any sports book on the planet. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. You can pick your locks for the week, put them together in one parlay bet and when they all come through, the rewards are massive. Tired of watching the games from the couch with nothing to game? MyBookie wants to get your mind off everything else and back into the game. And the best part, guys, if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's right. If you put in $1,000, they'll give you 1000 bucks. That's double your initial deposit. You can use all of that on your favorite picks. Just use promo code On to activate that offer that's promo code locked on to double your cash today visit mybookie.ag you play you win you get paid And it is Wednesday, which means we're talking to guests here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, the hosts, the co-hosts of Locked On Steelers here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I've got Tony, I've got Chris, and fellas, my next question for you is about how Mason Rudolph is processing things. You mentioned it in the earlier segment. One of the reasons Miami had some success on Sunday in Buffalo was because of the pressure looks confusing Josh Allen. Is this something we should expect to see on Monday night? Or maybe will he have it more corrected now with a few weeks off?
0: Well, you know, look, he's coming off of this concussion. So you have to wonder, you know, how, how does that affect him? Does it affect his confidence at all? Like, you know, Mason Rudolph, he started, it, it started really poorly, right? I always go back to this stat because I think it shows just, just how low it started for Mason Rudolph. And you go back to that game against the 49ers, the first game he started, he only threw the ball, he only completed two passes more than, uh, more than a yard beyond the line of scrimmage. The last player to do that was Tim Tebow. <laughs> so uh, it was it was bad to start. Now, look, he's gotten better from there, but, you know, incrementally better. What, what, what this team, what this offense needs, what this team needs is for Mason Rudolph to make a leap. If they're going to make any sort of run towards the pl- towards the playoffs, which, by the way, Steelers fans still think is possible, because when you look at the Steelers schedule, uh, it's you know, it, it's relatively easy from here on out. So they need Mason Rudolph to, to make a jump. He's got to be more confident in throwing the ball down the field. He's got to be more confident in throwing the ball into tighter windows. He's very risk averse to this point in his career, but this is also a guy who look in his college career in, in the preseason, you know, he, he lit it up and this was a guy who was a deep ball thrower. Um, He hasn't been that thus far in the NFL. He's got to He's got to break out that part of his game. He's very good pre-snap reads, but after, after the snap, he's not good at diagnosing, Um, He's not he's not good at finding his open receivers down the field or he just doesn't want to fit it into any window. That's not wide, wide, wide open. And that's led to, you know, Juju having an, an incredibly down year, really all the Steelers receivers having poor years because they just don't have a quarterback yet that can get them the football. So that's been the real problem. If We're just talking about the Steelers in the 2019 season. What is the biggest problem? It has been the quarterback position. Uh, health at that position, first of all, because Ben went down, and then Mason went down, but but when we're talking about Mason Rudolph, he's got to be better at seeing the field and and getting the ball down the field.
2: Hey, welcome to our life as Dolphins fans. We haven't had a quarterback in 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we'll get one next year. That's the idea. That's the plan for the tank. I've got time for one more defensive question for you guys here before I get you out of here on Locked On Dolphins Podcast with Locked On Steelers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I want to talk about the coaching staff on defense because I don't know if you guys follow me on Twitter or whatever but I bag on Keith Butler a lot because I think some of the ideas he uses are very antiquated like putting linebackers on slot receivers when I studied Lawrence Timmons when he came over here I was asking myself what the hell is he doing 20 yards downfield on Julian Edelman so I've seen a lot of questions posed about him and about Mike Tomlin's future we'll go back to uh, Chris for this one Chris how do you feel about the coaching staff and will it stay intact next year
1: I think it'll stay intact the only way that it would be broken up is if well, one, Tomlin's safe. He just got an extension, um, and he had an extra option added onto it that is not incentive based. So he's going to be around as long as he wants to be around. The defense would have to completely fall through the floor for for them to get rid of Keith Butler, in my opinion, um, just because. They've got the talent and they're producing right now. They have the second most turnovers in the NFL only to the Patriots, who are on a historic pace right now. So yep. when you consider that, I think that I think that's a good sign for, for where they're going. They also have an extremely young defense. But you know, and it's funny that you asked me this question, now, Tony, because Tony's the guy that's been wanting Keith Butler out of town. <laughs> I know, it's too bad. I, Travis, I completely agree with everything you said about Keith Butler. 100%. <laughs> okay.
2: That makes Wall- for a good show.
1: <laughs> but here's my here's my thing with Keith Butler is that uh, you know, I, I, I've pointed out that on film several times when a linebacker is on a wide receiver, but a lot of it isn't like, "Hey, I have this great idea. Yeah. I'm gonna <laughs> put Lawrence Timmons on Julio Jones." And just, <laughs> well, just, just work with me here. It's not like that. It's more like what happens is the Patriots come out in a formation and they show, uh, you know, they show two receivers, two running backs, and a tight end, and then all of a sudden they shift. And the running backs are lined up in the are lined up outside, and the and the wide receivers are lined up inside, and the Steelers are in a zone, and they can't switch out of it because of the alignments that they're in. So then what happens is Edelman's running up the middle where you have your linebackers covering. And so, yes, then it's, then it results in that. And so that's what the Patriots have often done. They'll find ways to mix mix and match players. And it causes those communication breakdowns. That's something that the Patriots have been very good with over the years, figuring things out like that. Um, that was part of the benefit that they learned from Spygate back in the day was that they saw how hard it was for teams to communicate with certain switches. Um, so that's something that they've that they've always done to the Steelers. And it, it, it's not something that necessarily that Keith Butler is saying like, hey, I, you know, it's it's a it's a plan to do this. It's one of those things that happens, but they've also worked on ways to communicate to make sure that that doesn't happen as much because now they've said, okay, you know what we'll do? We'll put more safeties on the field. We'll put our linebackers with more support out there. We'll draft linebackers that cover better, like Devin Bush, who already has six turnovers through six games, Um, and and, and he's a big reason why their turnover numbers are up right now. And uh, they'll draft guys like Terrell Edmonds and trade for guys like Minka Fitzpatrick that can help in the box but also drop back into deep coverage. That's been their sort of answer. It hasn't been a a sort of uh, you know Keith Butler's just dumb and he just thinks that that you know Larry Foote w- was going to cover Randy Moss back in the day. All these all these all they they were in was like hey we're in this defense. They couldn't switch out of it for whatever reason, and now they need to work to make sure that, that doesn't happen and that they can switch out of those type of type of situations. And they have done that this year for the most part. You look at the way that, that, that they're playing. There are times when Mark Barron. Has been targeted in situations that weren't beneficial, uh, but at the, at, for the most part, they've been doing a lot of things well over the middle, finding ways to switch into new things. And again, remember, this defense is extremely young. Terrell Edmonds is still, I think, 23 years old. Uh, Devin Bush is a rookie. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, I think, is 23 or 22. Uh, you know, you got players. You got players like uh, like Stefan Tuitt, who's out for the year, but he, he was one. He was one of the younger guys. Defense at 26. Uh, you know tj watt also still in his rookie contract so many young guys that they're asking to do things out there those type of breakdowns are going to happen it's i don't i don't foresee any major coaching changes unless they do fall through the floor and i, I don't necessarily see that happening with this defense
2: okay real quick guys i gotta get your final score prediction for the game on monday night we'll go back to you first uh tony
0: yeah, I think, uh, look, the, the Steelers, when they've played a Monday night game already against an opponent they should beat, and they won handily. I think that probably happens again, although, you know, what's in the back of every Steeler fan's mind is, you know, is this going to be one of those play-down-to-your-opponent type of games that we've seen in the Tomlin era? Um, you know, I, I don't think that, that those usually happen on the road, uh, and especially they, they happen, you know, Sunday 1 o'clock games that don't happen in these primetime games. Tomlin has a pretty good record. In this game, so I'm going to predict a big win for the Steelers here. I like them somewhere in the range of 28 to 10. Um, I think the Steelers get it done on Monday night, and then they get this stretch coming up against the Colts and Rams, probably the toughest uh, uh, remaining on their schedule.
2: Yeah, that does feel fair. It does feel like Ryan Fitzpatrick is due for one of his classic, you know, valley type of games, Peaks and Valleys, where he hits those four interceptions and the Steelers just run away with this one pretty early on. And we'll have a preview of this game for you guys on Sunday night slash Monday morning going into the film and all that fun stuff up on LockedOnDolphins.com as well as on the podcast. But we're going to go ahead and close out Crossover Wednesday. The hosts of the Locked On Steelers podcast, they are Tony Serino. He is at Steeler Country and Chris Carter is at Carter Critiques on Twitter. Thanks again so much, fellas. And we'll go ahead and play you guys out to your song. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at LockdownFins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockdownDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a miscellaneous edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.